Hello and welcome to the special Dry Bones Ministries podcast series, Reflections on the Screwtape Letters. My name is Father Adam Potter, and today we reflect on the 16th letter. 16, that means in this uh, book of 31 letters, we are halfway there, which is no small accomplishment, halfway, which, uh, yeah, should be celebrated, acknowledged, and, yeah, really taken to heart as a, an important mile mile marker of how far we've come and also that we have uh, less than halfway to go so keep going persevere hopefully these um, insights and reflections can continue to bring us into just a greater understanding of the power of God and looking at all of the wiles and attacks of the evil one he is victorious ultimately he has already overcome the final battle But the battle to be won in our souls is still at stake. And so that we might arm ourselves with these true weapons of fortitude, trust, and perseverance would be so good. So if there was a title to this chapter, I think it would be called Churches. Churches where screw tape uh, questions why Wormwood has not encouraged his patient to church hop. And unless the patient is indifferent... Wormwood should help him become critical and dissatisfied with his church. Screwtape has identified two churches in the area that are full of factions and hatred, and both would be perfect for helping to damage the patient's faith. Well, it's right in the opening letter where Screwtape says that it is a bad thing for Wormwood's patient to have been faithfully attending one church. I don't know what, what how you feel about that. Maybe you've been going to the same church your whole life, and it's like, that's not a big deal. Um, well, here's what he says. Surely you know that if a man can't be cured of church going, right, that like to make him stop going to church, the next best, best thing is to send him all over the neighborhood looking for the church that suits him until he becomes a taster or connoisseur of churches. So I would point out that in this letter, well, in this whole book, C.S. Lewis is really speaking to or from a Protestant mindset. It's the idea that the Bible is the only source of revelation, and it's really up to us to interpret it. And therefore, one can have very different ideas in terms of the creed, or maybe you don't have a creed at all in terms of the music what it means to worship. What do we do when, when we're there? Is it just about singing songs or Bible studies or listening to sermons, homilies, um, or Holy Communion? It brings about a different interpretation of what the church looks like or what the preaching should be like or about, etc., etc. And this is very different in the Catholic Church. And although we have this beautiful oneness in the church that has a 2,000 year old history that has the same deposit of faith that yes throughout the centuries has developed and come to greater clarity through the church councils ecumenical councils defining our faith our creed who is God one substance three persons who is Jesus Christ one persons two natures who is the Holy Spirit who are we the church all these different things right so we as a church are united in this one faith, one creed, one baptism, one father of all, as St. Paul says in Ephesians chapter four. But maybe it'd be good for us to admit that there are also a lot of factions in the Catholic church. 
We all profess the same creed and intend to worship in the same way, but gosh, too often the experience is that whenever I go into a different church, different Catholic church, I'm experiencing something very different than the church that I grew up at or the last church that I went to. Has this been your experience? Sometimes there's a a, a beauty in the diversity of being able to see different expressions of the faith with different cultures or different emphases, 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 um, sorry. So, but how about us? Are we liable to church hop? As a priest, I can tell you I'm not. <laughs> I go to the church where I'm told. Um, but what, what, what would that look like? Maybe going after a certain type of priest or a certain type of music or a certain type of congregation. Now, here's the caveat, right? If there is a priest or a church that is not being faithful to the magisterium, the authentic interpretation of divine revelation, then really the virtuous decision is to move. I think Screwtape will deal with that a little bit later in the letter, but we're talking about searching for a church that mirrors my own preferences. That's where it starts to get dangerous because all of a sudden the faith is not about what's objectively true outside of me, but it's more about what I like, what suits me better, what makes me feel uh, better about myself or how I'm living. And that is a very dangerous place to be. What about this question? Do you think churches cater to church hopping at all? And if so, how? I don't know that I'm ready to get into answering that question out loud, but Gosh, there there can be, I'll just leave it, there can be a lot of that for a multiple multitude of different reasons and different expressions of different ways that churches would want to cater to people's preferences, bend over to accommodate them, bring them into that church in a way that really, I would say, gets away from the beauty of the parish church as really being a family. Just as you don't hop from like, well, I really like this family. They <laughs> they celebrate me. Or I really, really like this family. They're a lot more fun. And we, we would reject our own family. That can kind of be at the heart of the reality of what happens whenever we church hop. And that parishes themselves would contribute to that. I find really disturbing. Um, so we have a lot to pray for, huh? Amen. Screwtape goes on to say in paragraph two that there are two reasons why it's important to encourage the patient to church hop. What are they? Well, first, the church is a unity of place and not of likings or preferences. This really is powerful. The idea that the church is a representative of Jesus Christ himself, that he came to save every single person on this planet and that the church would be a place where every single person would be able to find a home, a place at the table, and a real sense of belonging despite any differences that he might have in class, race, or biases. This is what the church is all about, this unity of place. Would that our churches exuded this type of welcome. The second reason, the second is the very premise behind searching for a suitable church would make the man a critic when God wants him to be a student. Isn't that, isn't that valuable? 
right? That the proper disposition of a churchgoer is one who lays oneself open in the uncommenting, humble receptivity to any nourishment that is going. Wow. Do we do that? Do we go into every Mass with a humble receptivity? In other words, that at every reading of sacred scripture, every homily, every hymn, every Eucharistic prayer, every reception of Holy Communion, there is this anxious, intentional looking to be nourished with a humble openness. I don't know how you're going to speak to me in the word. I don't know how this hymn is going to speak to me or jump out to me. I don't know how this homily that seems to be rambling and doing a loop, land the plane, Father. I don't know how, but at every single Mass, at every single part of the Mass, the Lord is liable to speak to us and to remind us of who we are and the love that he's inviting us to. That's the disposition that God wants and how the evil one loves to twist us to say, hmm, I'm going to critique it. Yeah, I wouldn't have said that in the homily. Yep, that wasn't the hymn that I would have chosen. I, I like a different one. Right? And then all of a sudden we're putting ourselves we're taking ourselves out of the position of the pupil, the student, and putting ourselves in the position of the critic or the authority. And God is ultimately the authority and that we need to be his disciples. Scrutate then advises Wormwood to send his patient to the neighboring parishes. In paragraph three, he says that there are two nearby churches, churches that would do just the trick. The first parish is led by the vicar or pastor who serves up a blend of diluted Christianity. I love that. So watered down that he shocks his parishioners with his own unbelief in order to spare the laity all the difficulties he has deserted both the lectionary and the appointed psalms. And now without noticing it resolves endlessly, revolves endlessly around the little treadmill of his 15 favorite psalms in 20 favorite lessons. Okay, why would this be dangerous for Wormwood's patient? Well, hopefully it's obvious, right? It could serve to further disenchant the patient from the real heroic call that is necessary for holiness. I think about that so often that the church has tried to water things down, not make it too difficult or too challenging because we don't want to lose anybody. And and meanwhile, is anybody really invited to the heroic battle of fighting for my own soul and fighting to win many other souls for Christ? Do we really understand the challenge of what it means to be virtuous and even the fulfillment that can come from living the right way? And if everything's like, oh, no, no, I don't, I don't want to make you feel uncomfortable then all of a sudden I can be very disenchanted and just float away. It could also be dangerous for the patient because it could show that the priest doesn't take Jesus or the scriptures seriously, and neither does he have to. And I think also it could just further distance him from the truth. If it's always being watered down, if it's always being um, translated into something that is relevant without it being given in the full glory of just revealing who God is, then I just get further and further from the truth. A personal comment. I'm grateful for the lectionary that the Catholic Church has. The lectionary, it's the selections of all of the different readings 
Old Testament, New Testament gospel that the church gives us every single Sunday and even every single day during the week that, gosh, it'd be, it'd be easy for me as a preacher, a homilist to just pick those readings that, yeah, I feel, I feel really strongly about, or I think this is what God wants his people to hear. And, and meanwhile, even as a priest, I'm obedient to the church, God's representative here on earth, that, no, these are the readings that God has intended for his people. I can't tell you how many times I've been blown away at the ways that the lectionary, the different readings of the church, or in the church calendar, different feast days, just come to speak volumes to what's going on right here in the world, right now, or to this congregation, to this group of people, or to this child. It's just I'm like, Lord, how do you do that? <laughs> well, he's, he's God. He's God. And his bride is the church in that the church as mother, gosh, she gives her children what they need. One other comment just to, to speak to this. You know, it's hard for me to criticize preaching as I myself am just learning. But Jesus himself speaks to the danger of only preaching to get an approval or an applause. In Luke chapter 6, verse 26, he says, Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. I think as a a preacher, as a homilist, I should be worried whenever the only thing that I hear is, great homily father great 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 homily great job great word that was awesome or if there was an applause which there shouldn't be applause in church but right if everything that a priest or deacon whoever the preacher is says receives 100 percent approval that's probably an indication that he's not preaching the fullness of the truth that is always challenging in our own imperfection The truth is what calls us to humbly give ourselves over more and more to God, to his mercy, so that we can be perfect as the Heavenly Father is perfect. Does that make sense? The second parish that Screwtape recommends is in paragraph four. We see that there is a Father Spike. (laughs) What a name. Father Spike. Quote, who cannot bring himself to preach anything which is not calculated to shock, grieve, puzzle, or humiliate. Okay, why would this be dangerous for the patient? Well, it seems that this preacher's motivation is solely to elicit a certain kind of emotional response from his listeners. He's an equal opportunity offender. Shock, grief, puzzle, or humiliate. Wow, where does that come from? Well, we see that... Screwtape actually says just it comes from this place of real hatred, vitriol, and how sad that is that, gosh, he really has his own struggles, but then he uses the homilies to communicate, just to get an emotional rise out of them, as opposed to preaching in such a way to invite the faithful to a personal spiritual response. One that isn't just on the surface, like, ooh, that made me really shocked or amazed or puzzled or I ah, brought on this all these warm fuzzies that I just really feel loved right now. <laughs> like, mm, to preach in such a way 
that there is an invitation to conversion, to repentance, and to coming back to Jesus Christ even more than when I first stepped foot in those doors. Finally, we have screw tape in paragraph five, affirming that at least both of these churches are party churches. So not party like woo woo party. Like no, the idea that within the church there are different parties, groups, cliques, or factions that are not based on doctrines, but on semantics like mass versus holy communion or mass versus the holy sacrifice of the mass or indifferent things or surface level issues. What might those look like today? I was praying about it. This is not an exhaustive list, but I was thinking about how about traditional versus progressive? How about conservative versus liberal, Republican versus Democrat? I'm talking even within the church. How about different ethnic nationalities? No, this, we're this church over here. This is what our group is. How about we're the Catholic school families or we're the public school families or we're the homeschool families? Um, the list could go on and on. I'm sure you can take those couple of examples and maybe apply it to what you've seen in your own church. Um, this made me think of whenever I first entered seminary, I was innocent, naive, just coming into, just coming into the seminary because I really believed that the Lord was potentially calling me to be, I didn't know for sure, but I just knew that I couldn't ignore this tug on my heart anymore. And I remember being questioned. This was like my first year in seminary, maybe second. And it was whether or not I was going to be a traditional priest or a liberal priest. And I literally had never thought of it before that I came into seminary just wanting to be a holy priest. So I think I answered neither. I'd like to be Orthodox (laughs) and Orthodox. that, That doesn't mean like Eastern Catholic Orthodox literally means right teaching or right worship. So to be an Orthodox Catholic means I just want to be in line with what the church teachings teaches. What does Jesus Christ teach and give us for salvation? So the last thing worth highlighting is Screwtape's snarky comments at the very end of this letter about how they have gotten the vermins to forget about Paul's teaching, quote, that the human without scruples should always give in to the human with scruples, end quote. Did you catch this and maybe wondered what it was all about? So the idea comes up in Romans chapter 14, verses 19 to 21, and then also in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, where he's addressing the faithful who are eating food that has been connected to pagan temples. Now the faithful who are there in Corinth, for example, are saying, Paul, what's the big deal? We know that there is only one true God, Jesus Christ, and these pagan temples, they're not even real gods. We just want a hamburger from the restaurant that's connected to the pagan temple. That last part is kind of a, 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 a contemporary interpretation. Anyway, but Paul responds that, well, your faith is not just about you. There are others who can see what you are doing into those who have a weaker faith. It looks like you're actually participating in both Christian worship and pagan worship. And whether you intend it or not, your actions are bringing those with weaker faith to be led astray from Christ. A contemporary example is a clergy member uh, who I know who was seen in the church um, sitting in the, in the pews. And then whenever someone 
came up um, and walked by him, they realized that the priest was on his phone. The same priest was even caught in the confessional with his phone out. And a couple of the faithful were just kind of scandalized, thinking, gosh, Father is always on his phone in church. And then they asked, Father, you should be setting a good example. But then he showed them that he was actually praying his divine office on his phone, right? That the breviary, the the prayers that he has to say every single day. So he wasn't just browsing or he wasn't scrolling on Instagram. He was He was actually praying. But what did it look like? His intention was to pray, but objectively what he was doing was conveying that his phone was more important than God or he was engaging in activity that wasn't actually wholly devoted to God. Could that potentially give scandal? Lead those with weaker faith away? That's a real good question. And it's why I really don't like praying on my phone. I like to bring in my Bible or my actual hard breviary. One other um, comment that hopefully is helpful In seminary, we were taught a very important lesson that you are not holier for praying faster or slower, louder or softer, that holiness is found in being in union with the faithful. So this was really important for a large group of 250 seminarians who all had their own pieties and devotions. So the invitation was to be able to find in humility, a real charity of doing what was best for the overall group and not just in a way that would be more divisive. But this is good for me in my own prayer life. It's like, actually, instead of worrying about my own prayer life, that I would be able to be hidden and not even noticed at all for the way that I genuflect or the way that I cross myself or the way that I pray or the way that I kneel or what I wear, that I actually might be hidden to my faithful, to those around me, So that I might be seen by the Father. For the Father who sees you pray in secret will reward you in secret. That is a sanctifying approach. So what do you say? Let's be holy. (laughs) Let's strive to be faithful to the church that the Lord has brought us to and adopt a true, humble receptivity in the worship. How about we strive to see faith as not just between me and Jesus, but in the true communal beauty as it brings everyone together in the love of Christ. Can we pray for our priests that they might be faithful heralds of the heralds of the full teachings of Christ? And let's pray for true unity in our churches. Jesus Christ prayed in John 17:21 that they might be one as he is one with the Father and the Father is one with him. St. Michael the archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl throughout the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Friends, thank you for joining us for this special podcast series, Reflections on the Screwtape Letters. If you'd like to support the work of Dry Bones Ministries, please visit drybonespgh.org. Please pray for me. I promise to pray for you. And I will see you next time.